Sins of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Since I went into ministry, um, I became the designated food blesser at all my family events. And so every time we'd gather together at Christmas, at Thanksgiving, we just like, you know, my father, or my, my aunt, my uncle, everybody was like, all right, where's Wilson? We've got to find Wilson, because he's going to ask to pray this now. It's like, okay, I guess it is actually my job to do, so I'll do it. It's like, I'll, I'll do. Um, and part of it is because it is my job. Part of it is because I'm, I'm succinct in food blessings. I'm not very long-winded in the food blessings. And a lot of, you know, people, not, not as many active Christians in the extended family. We get 40 and 50 together. It's kind of a various blend of, of humans, and so they kind of want to get, get to the point. But when I was a child, my Aunt Laura was kind of the designated food blesser, and she was, uh, is, is, is a very holy woman, a, a lovely woman. Um, she kind of did not fall in the pattern of succinctness that I, I later did. And one, one time when I, was, when I was a kid, that everybody tells me this story, I don't remember it, but it's every time there's a family event, I, I hear this story about how my Aunt Laura was blessing the food in this beautiful prayer and talking about God's glory and the glorious bounty before us, and she took a breath, and I blurted out, Amen! And then everybody else said, Amen, and laughed, and we ate. And they, were, they were so happy. <laughs> they were so happy to just get to the food. How to end a prayer, though, is, is, is tricky. It can be a tricky thing. It's trickier than how to begin one. When we begin praying, it's pretty clear. We go from not praying to praying. And we're not, okay, we're in this prayer zone. Um, but how long should we stay in the prayer zone? How long should we do it? It, it rarely feel, feels enough. We can never say all that we need to say to God, whether we're, we're blessing food, whether we're with our, by ourselves in our quiet place, where we're with a group. And if we rush through it, like, like, we did, like I did as a child, it seems like we're not paying God enough attention, but if we linger, we kind of lose focus, and then we're not actually like praying in, in the moment. Our, our mind is no longer present to God. We just go through the motions. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the prayer ended abruptly, as, as Deb read a moment ago. That's the end of the Lord's Prayer in, in the New Testament. Like, that's where, that's it. Um, over, over the centuries, Christians have added what we call the doxology later, but it's still how we understand, how, we, how should we conclude prayer? I think it's a really important question. What is the right ending? What is the right ending to a prayer? And my friends, we are finishing our, our series on the Lord's Prayer in this season of Lent, slowly looking through the Lord's Prayer, giving our, our lay speakers plenty of scripture to read on Sunday morning. Um, they get one verse. It's good, good practice emphasize that one verse, but these familiar or unfamiliar words about really seeking God's will and God's vision um, for us in this world, and to understand God's vision for ourselves and those around us. Today's words, and don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, when we say the Lord's Prayer in, in worship, and most of us, when we were uh, taught the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't end at that point. It ends with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But those lines are, are universally absent in the early manuscripts of, of the New Testament, of, of the Gospel of Matthew, whether it's in Greek or Syriac or other languages, anything from like the 2nd through 5th century. They don't, it's, it's, not, it's not there. It comes back later. It's beautiful. I, I, I love it. I love the language of this, the discourse of this, but it's not really, it's not present in those earlier, in those earlier periods. 
And so as we conclude this, this series on the Lord's Prayer, and as we as a church conclude this period of discernment, we're going to look at these two endings. There's two endings here of the Lord's Prayer. There's the first ending that ends with, rescue me from the evil one, and the second ending, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And how these two endings helped us to understand how we should pray and how we should live. With the first ending, it's much more direct. In the standard version that we often hear, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's how, uh, you know, that's how the manuscripts have it. I'm, I don't know if it's just my personal habit, but I always feel like I'm wanting, if I'm reading through the Gospel of Matthew and the, the Sermon on the Mount, and I go through it, and it ends there, and we move on to the next thing. It's like, wait, what's going on? We need to, we need to conclude this prayer. Jesus doesn't even teach his disciples to say amen at the end of the prayer that he teaches them to say. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Full stop. But you know, it feels sometimes inside that you can't leave prayer in a questioning note. What are we supposed to do? And so as, as we've done throughout this series, we're going through it slowly. Let us, lead us not into temptation. These are, these are strange words, and we should hear them as strange, because God isn't the one who tempts us. So why are we praying to God, lead us not into temptation? God is the one who loves us. But the issue is temptation is about our own heart. And I think we should understand this phrase in an aspirational way, seeking after God's will. May the path you have for us, O Lord, not go by temptations too strong for us. When we ask it in prayer, we seek it. That doesn't mean there won't be temptations, just like when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, doesn't mean we'll ever have a moment of hunger. And if we have a moment of hunger, that's not denying what we pray in the Lord's prayer. It is not a weakness of God's, but when we pray in such a way as Jesus taught, we look forward to a life of following God. We seek to follow God in a way that does not increase our temptation. As a teacher of mine wrote, temptation is the deceptive power of evil. Because evil is inseparable from what is good, always, it always has the appearance of what is good. Evil is disguised as good, and so becomes the object of our desire. Temptation is tempting. It seems redundant to say, but it's really important to say. Temptation is always tempting. What is tempting for me is not the same as what is tempting for you. For instance, we can, if we talk about food, cake is not tempting for me. It may be for some people. Chips and salsa, very tempting for me. Very hard for me to control myself around chips and salsa in those kinds of ways. And there's different aspects of life that for each of us, we, we interact in the world in different ways. And temptations are, are so often disguised as good. We can rationalize them. We can justify them. We can lie to ourselves about anything. And yet, as Jesus shows us through prayer, we need to admit our need to God in order to guide us away from temptation. And there are two virtues that God uses to help us in this matter. One is restraint and the other is endurance. Restraint helps us from overindulging in what is good, in what is good in itself. And endurance helps us to stay faithful through times of struggle and confrontation. Restraint keeps us from the temptation to abuse the good, and endurance keeps us from losing faith and losing hope when circumstances change. Both are tempting at different times, and yet both require the grace of God, not simply amazing willpower 
We need help, which is why we call to God again and again, and why Jesus teaches his disciples to call to God again and again. And then he gets to the next part, and deliver us from evil, and, or and rescue us from the evil one. And there are two ways to understand this part as well. The first way, deliver us from evil or misfortune. The second way, deliver us from the evil one, from the devil, from Satan, from Lucifer, from the enemy. The first one is straightforward for all of us. Keep evil away from me. Save me from evil. Protect me from evil things. This is clear. It seems like a pretty good prayer. We should be asking, God, keep me from evil stuff. Got it. That's what I want. We're on good terms. If only it was that easy... If evil was, was clearly marked evil and it was like worked, life worked like a, you know, a kid's TV show and you knew who the evil character was because the music came on and you was like, oh no, that's the bad guy. I know who that is. Um, that's not how life works. But the other aspect, when we get to the devil, things become a little less clear. I mean, then some Christians are more, more comfortable talking about the devil than, than others. And that some traditions speak more about the devil's power than others, but I think one way we should understand it too is that it's similar to how some Christians are more comfortable talking about how Jesus tells people to give away everything they have and follow him. And that's, that's comfortable for some people to talk about and uncomfortable for others. I think both of these aspects, the, the devil or like radical asceticism, um, are, are found in the scriptures and, and they both have a comparable metaphysical understanding of the call of faith. It's a radical call of faith. And we can, think, we can think to ourselves, is it easier to believe in the devil or to believe that Jesus is actually calling me to give everything I have away and follow him? Let go of worldly power, comfort, and influence and follow him. And I mean, I think scripture shows us that we should actually believe in both. We should fear the devil and God is asking us to do something radical in our lives. And this gets to this issue of where is the limit of our faith? What are we willing to let go of for God? Is the limit of our faith found in culture? Do we want to maintain this culture? Do we want to maintain expectations or, or philosophy or metaphysics or, or comfort? The Lord's Prayer addresses all of these every time we pray it. The evil one is the Lord of this earth and offers brokenness, selfishness, and pride. The evil one offers rationalizations and justifications and a life lived for pleasure at the expense of others. The evil one offers a life where we are not burdened to have to think about others. When we pass someone in need, we can say to ourselves, not my problem. We can thank the evil one for that. Or we can stop and help and worship Jesus Christ. That is the depth of claim found in the simple prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And then we're not done. The language used of the deliver us from the evil one is similar to the language we will sing next week on Palm Sunday, Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna is not just this wonderful song that, that kids sing whenever they're, they're waving palms. It means save us now. Save us now. And, and the language used is similar to not just save us now, but snatch us out of the jaws of the evil one. Snatch us out of the jaws of the evil one. And it makes me think of the powerful imagery from, from the Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards sermon, Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God, that I had to read in high school. Many of us had to read in high school. It was weird reading a sermon in a secular setting, but it's full of this powerful imagery, this language of, of our, our souls being held like a spider on a net 
over the depths of hell by a thread. And I don't agree with all of Jonathan Edwards' theology, but the contingency he illustrates of that need is extremely biblical. Only grace can save us. Only grace can deliver us from this evil one. The, the structural powers of evil in this world are too much to face alone and is too tempting. It's too tempting to tell ourselves that we can do it on our own and it's too tempting to not seek God. To really pray the Lord's Prayer is to admit that we are in need. We are in need of being saved. We are on the verge of falling and we are in need of redemption. And it's humbling to admit a need. It cuts against pride directly. I don't know how many of you like advice unsolicited. I do not. Um, it, it, it happens a lot in life. I've heard, like, the two, two places I've, I've seen the most unsolicited advice are when my wife has been pregnant and when she had back pain. And both of those things, people come out of the woodworks to give all the advice they have, whether or not it's good or bad. But it's, sometimes it's hard to, to ask it's hard to ask for help, especially with things you, we think we should have figured out by now. It's easy to ask for help for stuff that you've never done before. Like if I started knitting, it'd be easy for me to ask for help because I have no idea what is going on. But if I was like, if it was something about, about playing the bass or, or weird church history, that would be a lot harder for me because I'm supposed to have that stuff figured out. And yet, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he teaches them to be needy. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we admit to God that we are needy. We need God to save us from the evil one. And the gospel writers end it there. The Christian tradition continues with the doxology, what the church has taught through the centuries. And with the doxology, we center the prayer again on God. We start with God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we end with God, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And I think it's, it's good for us to do that again and again, to, to recenter the prayer on God. The Lord's Prayer is not simply a set of words to repeat again and again. Jesus offers us a way of life. It is a vision for a world to which we have become numb through repetition. But that doesn't make Jesus' vision any less true when we pray it. This is a long day in the life of this church. May it start with God and prayer, and may it end with God and prayer. In your bulletin, I'm sharing a, a, a prayer for you, if you could pick that out at this point. This is for you to keep and say today, at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, at any time during the day, whether you are voting or not, no matter what happens, it is a prayer for us all to say, for whatever may be in store with us. And I would like to conclude the sermon by saying it together with you. Let us pray. God of us all, your love never ends. When all else fails, you still are God. We pray to you for one another in our need and for all anywhere who grieve with us this day. To those who doubt, give light. To those who are weak, strength. To all who have sinned, mercy. To all who sorrow your peace, keep true in us the love with which we hold one another. In all our ways, we trust you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.